Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, David. Hi guys, I'm David. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Super, 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 super grateful to be here right now. Like really be here right now and um, be alive right now. This meeting completely saved my life. I, uh, you know, a year before I came into program, I would listen to these podcasts every single day, sometimes five times a day, ten times a day, you know, in the Trader Joe's parking lot after a 10,000 calorie binge, just hearing messages of hope and hope and hope and thinking I would never be like that. And, uh, you know, now I get to stand up here today and hopefully give some person somewhere on this planet the same hope that I was given. Uh, Just to qualify, I have two and a half years of abstinence. My abstinence is no binging, no purging, no flour, no sugar. I eat three meals a day with nothing in between. Uh, I call on my food every morning to my sponsor. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor who has a sponsor. I have sponsees who have sponsees. And, um, you know, my sponsor says, David, we don't mess around with the food so that we can live our lives. And, you know, because I don't mess around with the food, because I make my abstinence, my sobriety, the most important thing in my life without exception, I get to live a life that is, like, truly beyond anything I could have ever imagined in my entire life. And, um, you know, just for the people who are listening on podcasts, I just want to say, like, you are not alone. If you're, like, somewhere in Indiana or Florida and you don't have a meeting and you think you're weird because you have this food thing and you can't stop binging or you can't stop purging or you can't stop exercising or you can't put down the diet pills, like, you are not alone. You are not alone. And there is so much hope in these rooms. And, like, the only thing that we have to do is reach out our hands for hope, for for help, and, like, we will be immensely rewarded. And, you know, my whole story is about thinking I was so alone. Um, You know, I actually have the journal entry that I wrote the day before I got abstinent, and I read it every morning. It's really my first step every morning just to remember that I'm a compulsive overeater because I'm so far removed from this behavior today. And um, I got the okay that I can curse, so I'm going to go ahead with it. (laughs) There's another binge today, another wasted day. Bag of dried mangoes, 540 calories. Bag of banana chips, 2,400 calories. Bag of freeze-dried bananas, 540 calories. Bag of freeze-dried pineapples, 520 calories. Bag of dried pineapple rings, 720 calories. One whole jar of almond butter, 2,660 calories. This is at 3 o'clock p.m., um, and there was more binge to come, but it says 3,380 calories. I'm lonely as fuck, probably because I hate myself. I'm sitting at the Santa Monica Pier watching everyone around me laugh and smile. Why is everyone happy except for me? Why can't I be normal? Why do I have to eat 7,000 effing calories in a sitting? I hate myself. I pray that one day my food will be moderate and clean. I think I want to run the marathon. That's my bulimic side coming in. I think it would be good for me to set a goal and reach it. I need help. I am so tired of living. I am so tired of being alone. And that's after being in program for a year already. 
you know, this was a normal binge for me. This was nothing out of the ordinary. And like I say, the funny thing is, I don't even like dried fruit. Like, <laughs> so much of a compulsive overeater, like I am. Like, I don't like dried fruit, and I still can't stop eating it. And, um, you know, that's what I was like when I came into these rooms. Like, you know, just to talk a little bit about what it was like right when I came into the rooms, I was so scared of people that, you know, for my first 10 months in program, I would come in late every single meeting, and I would leave early, and I'd go home and binge. And then, you know, when I finally got a sponsor, I would write on index cards my three-minute pitches, and I'd come in, and I'd be so scared, and I'd shake, shakily raise my hand, and I'd read my pitch. And, um, you know, I just didn't trust anything that came out of my mouth. And, like, to say three and a half years later I can come and not have notes and just, like, speak from my heart is a complete miracle and like that fear of people and what other people think of me is completely gone like I don't care and um, you know just to go back to this note a little so I'm so tired of living I'm so tired of being alone that's 22 years old when I said that and like I wasn't even living like I did not live one day until I came into these rooms and um, so tired of being alone you know, it's my whole story. You know, I came from a very abusive household. I, I say a lot, like, the first memory I have of childhood is my dad was this big guy, and he threw my little, he threw my sister up against the wall, and he was grabbing her by the chins, and he was just calling her a fat effing pig, just grabbing her by the chins and throwing her up against the wall, and I, like, jumped on his back, a four-year-old kid, you know, doing my Al-Anon, trying to rip him off her. And he picked me up by the shirt, called me a little shit, and threw me up against the wall. And I remember looking across the hallway at my mom, and I don't know if I said anything, but just begging her and pleading with her with my eyes just to help us and to be with us and, like, you know, be a mother and protect us. And she went into her meditation room and closed the door. And it's like, I don't say that story because I want to blame my disease or my past on my parents. Like... I didn't talk to my dad for 10 years, and, you know, now we talk every week, and my mom is my best friend on the planet. But I say that story because I need to know what I'm up against. And, you know, it says in the AA 12 and 12, you know, in step four, that God gave us instincts for a purpose, you know? And these instincts, they're God-given, so they're good, you know? And we have instincts for sex and for security and to be a member of society, you know? But as addicts, we far exceed the natural, you know, function of these instincts and then our greatest natural assets turn into our greatest liabilities and you know for me it was my instinct for security like all I ever wanted was to know that I wasn't alone all I ever wanted was to know that I was okay and safe and protected and like I didn't have that basic core instinct met so I went to the food at a really young age and like the food became my mom and the food became my dad and the food became my god and like thank God, the food was there because I would have killed myself. And, like, from a very young age, I was always obsessed with suicide. Like, five years old, I remember being at my grandfather's balcony in Florida and just looking at the ocean and saying, like, if I jump, it'll all be over tomorrow. But my next thought was, but nobody's going to show up at my funeral. And, like, what five-year-old thinks like that? What five-year-old thinks about killing themselves? And, like, what five-year-old thinks about who's going to show up at their funeral? Like, only someone who really, 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 really hates themselves. And, like, that was me. I hated myself um, because I blamed everything on me. And, um, you know, so I turned to the food, and the food became my everything, and the food became my protection. 
and um, I became the fat kid in school, and, you know, I was the weirdo, fat kid, didn't talk to anyone, and, you know, I'd get made fun of at school, and then I'd come home, and I'd eat over the fact that I was getting made fun of, and then I'd eat over the fact that, you know, I was eating over the fact, and then I'd just eat over the shame, and then I'd go up, and I'd sneak back down in the middle of the night, and I'd just eat over the loneliness, like it says in the big book, we are just tortured by loneliness. And, um, you know, I just ate, and I ate, and I ate, and I ate, and I remember, you know, I had all the nicknames that a fat kid has, and kids are so mean, so mean. Like, if you're listening, and you're young, and you're in high school, like, it gets better. It really does, because young kids are so mean, and I was chunk, I was pudgy, you know, I was all, like, the fat kid names. I remember one year I came back from Christmas break, and everybody was singing the Baby Beluga song to me. And I was like, what the heck is a baby beluga? And, you know, I walked my pudgy butt to the library one day after school, and I asked the librarian what baby belugas were, and she handed me a children's book. And I opened up the book, and it said something like, baby belugas are miniature somethings that get up to 3,500 pounds of blubber. And I just closed my eyes in the children's section, and I didn't cry because I couldn't cry because I was completely blocked off from emotion at that point. But, like... I just remember feeling so much shame for my body and so much shame that everybody was making fun of me for being fat, you know. So I went home and I ate some more and then I ate some more and I ate some more and I ate some more. And, um, you know, things started taking a turn for the better when I found bulimia when I was like 11 or 12 years old. Uh, my sister and I had connecting rooms and... You know, I used to hear her throwing up in the middle of the night, and, you know, she'd throw up into paper bags and then go outside and dump it, you know, into our backyard. And she started losing a lot of weight, and, you know, I wanted what she had. And, you know, the sneaky addict that I was, I went into her room one morning, and I found her diet pills. And they say this is a progressive illness, man. Like, what started as one slim, fast diet pill, by the time I graduated high school... I was taking 15 diet pills a day. I had lost all my weight, and I had transferred to a different high school. And on the outside, it looked like I had it all together. Like, I was dating a pretty girl, going to the good college, driving the car. I was a three-sport athlete, but on the inside, like, I hated myself. I was exercising five hours a day. I'd wake up in the morning at 5 a.m. I'd go to the gym, like, eat a thing of celery, and then starve all day, take 15 diet pills, go to sports practice, come home, binge, wake up in the morning, do the same thing over and over and over again, and it just never ended. And, you know, people tried to get close to me, but I had a big fuck you to everyone, because I knew if I gained 60 pounds, like, over Christmas break, nobody would want to be my friend again. So, like, intimacy was not my thing. Like, I could not get close to people. And this continued in college. Like, I went to four different colleges in four years, just always running, 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 binging, purging, starving, the whole cycle, making lists, you know, breaking lists, making new diets, Atkins, you know, grapefruit, slim fat, like, the whole thing. I did, I tried everything, everything, and nothing worked. Um, and just to speed up, like, my bottom, because I don't really want to talk about what it was like, but I was living in Manhattan, and I um, was a senior in college, and 
I was living in Brooklyn, actually, and I was going from the Whole Foods on the Lower East Side to the one in Union Square to the one in Midtown to the one on the Upper West Side to the one in Harlem, and I would just binge, 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 every single Whole Foods, and um, I'd go back down to my 24-hour gym in Soho, and I'd work out from, like, actually on the subway, I'd calculate how many calories I probably ate on my binge, like 11,000 or 15,000, and then I'd go back to my 24-hour gym, and I just work my ass off, 11 to 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning, you know, run 7 miles, then sit in the sauna for an hour, then throw up, and then, you know, run some more, and then lift some weights and box and do the whole thing. And I take the subway back to my, you know, apartment in Brooklyn, and I just have my head down. And it seemed like everybody else had the key to life that I didn't have. It seemed like everybody else was in a relationship. Like, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Like, I can't stop binging. I can't stop purging. I can't stop throwing up. I'm failing out of college. I have no friends. My family's not speaking to me. I have no belief in a higher power. I don't know where I'm going in my life. Like, what's wrong with me? What the fuck is wrong with me? And, um, you know, I come back to my apartment in Brooklyn, and I put a fat kid picture of myself on the refrigerator, and I just promise I'm not going back to that person. I'm not going back to that person again because it's too hard, and there's too much pain. I'd rather kill myself. And then I'd wake up sweaty in the morning, crusty-eyed, like crusty, you know, the whole thing, the canker sores, you know, the total sugar hangover, and I'd wake up the next morning, and I'd be on and cracking. And, you know, if that's not insanity, I don't know what it is. You know, in any other disease, I don't know anything that's more shameful than, you know, what I did with the food. I would rather tell you that, like, man, I would rather tell you a lot of things, but I do not want to tell you what I did with the food. Because it's so shameful. It's so shameful because everybody's doing it normally except for us. Everybody's doing it normally. Like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be normal? And, um to kind of speed up my bottom I think it was Thanksgiving or Christmas 2009 and I was at my best friend's house in Connecticut my whole family my mom my sister and before you know the meal even started I was just totally drunk off my ass and totally you know I was a vegan quote unquote at the time and I just like binged my way through turkey and just hating myself and I went up to my best friend's bathroom and just threw up everywhere like everywhere all over the toilet all over the floor you know taking my hand out of the thing so I can throw up some more and then plunging it so I can throw up some more and then taking a shit and like having the runs and doing the whole thing and looking myself in the mirror and not knowing who I am and just looking like what's wrong with me what is wrong with me what am I doing with my life so I took a shower, and then I came back down to Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner, and everybody looked at me, and they're like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, seriously, what's wrong with you? I think my mom said that. And I looked at my mom, and I just said, you're a fucking slut. And that's where my disease takes me. Like, the fact that my mom maybe had been sleeping around when I was a kid. Like, the fact that maybe I'd been holding that pain in my, you know in myself for all those years like my disease thinks that it's a good idea to let that out on Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner like I don't know what's best for me it's pretty clear and um, I don't know the real chain of events because I was so disconnected from reality at that point but I remember taking you know the ferry back to Long Island on either Christmas or Thanksgiving night and looking in the bathroom mirror and just not knowing who I was like completely 
I turned into Jacqueline Mr. Hyde. I didn't know who I was anymore. I was like, my face was out to here. My stomach was out to here. My hands were like blimps. I just didn't know who I was. And I was like, I'm going to kill myself. Like, I'm going to kill myself. I have no friends. My family doesn't know who I am. Like, I haven't spoken to my dad in 10 years. I'm failing out of school. I, you know, do not know how to be in an intimate relationship for the life of me for more than a week. You know, I can't make commitments, or I make commitments, and then I break them, and then I binge over them. Like, I just didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know where my life was going, so it was like, I'm done. And I went back to my mom's house on Long Island, and I was just like, I'm going to have one more binge, and it's over. Like, I'm done. I'm just going to take, like, 50 antidepressants and a lot of vodka and just kill myself. (laughs) My best thinking. And, um... I'm binging my way through my mom's house, just binging, 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 you know, like a mad scientist, things in the oven, eating out of the freezer, you know, dumping things in the garbage and pouring salt and pepper on them, and then taking the salt and pepper off and eating some more and just, like, having things in the microwave. Like, my mom was always on, like, these diet, like, my mom's a normie, and she's, like, having these, like, diet plans. Like, you eat one thing today, like, one muffin, ate them all for the week, probably ate them all for the month, ate all the leftover Halloween candy, ate all her women's chocolate vitamins. Like, dude, I ate everything, 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 and, like, I need more food. I'm an animal. At this point, I'm an animal. Like, just give me some more freaking food so I don't have to listen to my mind right now. And I'm binging my way through my mom's pantry, and that OA 12 and 12 falls out. It just, like, falls out onto the floor. And I say that the miracle is not that it fell out. The miracle is that suicidal, pregnant-bellied, in my binge mentality, something gave me the strength to bend over and pick it up. And, like, I know now that that something is a power greater than me. And that was my power that was greater than me when I came into the rooms. And um, I went into my room, and I closed the door, and I opened up the first page, and it says something like, We of Overeaters Anonymous have found in this fellowship a way to recover from the disease of compulsive overeating. And that sentence completely changed my life, because I knew I wasn't alone, and I knew that there was hope. And, um, you know, probably for the first time in, like, years, I started crying. And I knew that I was going to be okay. So, like, if you're listening and you can relate to anything that I just said, like, there is hope, and there is a way out, and there is freedom at the end of, like, the darkness. I promise you that. Um, So I went into my sister's apartment the next month, and I was just like, Michelle, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a bulimic. I can't stop throwing up. I can't stop eating. I'm going to kill myself. And she's like, you got to go to OA, dude. And she printed out, like, the meeting list of New York City meetings, and gave them to me and you know it was on and cracking from there like they say this disease is progressive but so is recovery like recovery is hella progressive and um you know so I was living in Manhattan and I was going to these meetings and I'd go home and I'd binge and I could relate but I didn't want to relate and uh total god shot brought me to grad school in LA um I don't even know how I got into this grad school I was like the youngest person ever to get into the grad school and I'm, I'm in this program, and I'm still binging, and I'm still purging, and, and, you know, I'm still having these binges, and then skipping class, and going to the gym all day, using this UCLA gym, just binging, and then purging, and then exercising for five hours, and, you know, I was in this program, 20 people get in a year, they say it's harder to get into than, like, Harvard Medical School, and my chair, the chair people just sat me down, they're like, dude, what are you doing? 
Like, we gave you a chance, and you're not even showing up at class? Like, what are you doing? And, uh, for some reason, that was my wake-up call. And, you know, I started going to the 8,000 Sunset meetings, and just being, like, reading my little index cards and being like, I need a sponsor, and I'm scared. And, you know, this little angel woman came up to me, and she's like, I'll sponsor you temporarily. And, you know, my ego, my disease says, like, I wanted a young, straight, white guy who was in the entertainment industry, who was, like, dating girls, you know, who could take me under his wing and, you know, really show me the way. But what I got was, you know, someone more than, like, twice my age, a woman, you know, not my race, totally different background for me, and, um you know, what I learned in this program is that nothing matters on the outside. What matters is the language of the heart. And she completely saved my life. Mm. And um, I have that same mentality with my sponsees today. Like, I do not care what you look like. I do not care what your story is. If you're in pain, if you need help, I will do anything to help you. Anything. And I have sponsees, three sponsees in the room tonight. They will attest if you call me at three in the morning, I will answer if I'm up. You know, I will do anything. I will drive you to a meeting. You know, I will pick you up from the hospital. I will go have a meeting at your house. I will do anything. I am on the phone 10 to 15 times a day calling. And I hear people say, like, you know, life gets big, and then they stop working the program because, you know, whatever. That's complete BS. I work 70 hours a week. You know, I'm dating. I have friends. And still, like, I wake up at 5 in the morning. I have you know, a bunch of sponsees, I make 15 outreach calls a day, I go to meetings, I have commitments, I'm working three programs, I have sponsors in all my programs, I have sponsees, like, there is enough time, there is enough time, time is not an excuse, because, like, in God's time, there is no time, you know, God has infinite time, I don't need to sleep eight hours a day anymore, I sleep three hours a day, and I'm fine, I'm fine, and you can ask my sponsees, you can ask people in the room, I'm completely transparent with everyone in my life. And that means my sponsees, my sponsors, my, my crew in, in OA and my other programs. Like, I am completely, rigorously honest, and everybody knows everything about me. You know, if you're, in my, if you're on my team, and it's like, there's enough time. So that's not an excuse. It really isn't. Like, and full, like, I'm full. I can't sponsor. I wasn't full when I was at Whole Foods binging my way. Like, so I'm not full. So if you're, like, if you need help, it says in the AA Responsibility Pledge, like, it's my responsibility to reach out my hand and to help you. And I tell my sponsees, if you're willing to go to any lengths to recover, I am willing to go to any lengths to meet you there. Any lengths. So I just want to put my number out over the wave, like, call me, call me. I need you for my abstinence. So don't call me for you. Call me for me. Like, 631-258-9473. Call me. I need you. You know, and if, you know, I know where I was when I came into the rooms, like, this person has it all together, he's in a relationship, you know, he has a good job. No, it doesn't matter. I put service first no matter what. I put my sponsees first no matter what, and when I put God in service first no matter what, I am taken care of every single time, every single day. Every single day. So please call me, you know, please call me, and I will call you back. And that's like a promise. You know, because together we get better. There's no, like, I'm not better than my sponsees. I say it's a circle. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, you're helping me as much as I'm helping you. You know, a sponsee called me. I was at a party last night at the beach on a bonfire. And 
you know, he called me. I don't even know what time it was. And I, I went into the parking lot, and I took his call, and I sat with him for 15 minutes. And, you know, that's what I need to do so that I can be present for my life, you know. And if that's what I need to do, that is much better than binging and purging and starving every day, you know, answering a sponsee's call, doing commitments. And, um, you know, it's not even about that service. It's about practicing the principles in all my affairs. You know, if I walk into the bathroom at the gym and there's piss all over the seat, am I going, oh, and walking into another stall or am I getting on my knees and am I cleaning off? Like, that is service that only me and God know about, and that is the service that gets me abstinent and keeps me abstinent today. And um, I do not know why I just went on that tangent. (laughs) So I'm going to go back to the steps. And, uh, you know, the sponsee, she's like, you know, it's in the steps. Recovery is in the steps. I don't care what you're really eating because it's going to get better. Just work the steps. And I had complete faith because she had what I wanted. And uh, I don't know how much time I have, how much time. Um, Whatever. So step one, you know. I admit that I'm powerless over food. When I came into the rooms, like, yes, I'm completely powerless. When I put flour or sugar inside my body, I turn into an alcoholic and I can't stop eating, you know. And only my disease is going to tell me when enough is enough. You know, I lose total lack of control. But, like, the second part of step one, my life is unmanageable. Like, what the heck did that mean? I thought I had it all together when I came into the rooms. But, like, my life is unmanageable. That's talking, for me, that's talking about my thought life. That's talking about the fact that when I came into the rooms, I hated myself. I hated you. I didn't talk to my dad for 10, you know, years. You know, I couldn't be in a relationship. And I just had a mind that talked to me all day long and it told me lies and it tried to take me down and it tried to take me to the food. You know, I had a mind that told me I wasn't good enough, that I was fat, you know, that I was never going to get the girl I wanted or the job I wanted or the car I wanted or the house I wanted. And then, you know, I got the girl or I got the car and I got the house and the girl, you know, my mind told me was cheating on me or the house didn't have big enough rooms. The car didn't drive fast enough or, like, the job hasn't promoted me, like, quick enough. And, like, nothing is ever enough. And this is the mind that's just all day long going on and cracking. You know, this mind that just is totally warped and trying to take me down. And my problem was that I believed my mind when I came into the rooms. And, like, really, am I really going to believe my mind? If I really put down on paper what my mind tells me in the day that I'm in, that's going to propel me into a step two because I see that I'm really freaking insane. Like, really, I'm mentally ill. If I told you the thoughts that flow through the waves of my brain in the day that I'm in, like, I'm insane. And I have sponsees read me their minds. And we're like, oh, we're all insane. Like, now we're in step two because we see that a power greater than ourselves is going to restore us to sanity. And what's sanity? Soundness of mind. So a power greater than me is going to change my thinking. Thank you. Power greater than me is going to change my thinking. And then in step three, I turn my will and my life over this power. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? For me, I'm either in love or I'm in fear. And if I'm in fear, I'm in self. If I'm in love, I'm with God. That's step three for me. I turn my will and my life over to God and love. Um, and, you know, one through three is really about clearing up. And then four through nine is about cleaning up. And then ten through twelve is about growing up. And, you know, four through nine, I see that I'm... Not a compulsive overeater because I had a dad who did that or a mom who did that or a girlfriend who did that. I'm a compulsive overeater because I don't know how to deal with life on life's terms. And, um, you know, I start to see that and I start to fix that in 6 and 7 and then 8 and 9, man, the most transformational steps of my life. I didn't talk to my dad for 10 years when I came into the rooms. Um, And in December, I went back to New York and I met him for coffee 
And, you know, it t- took a lot of work to get to this point, but, you know, we met, and in my mind it wasn't I hate you because you beat me, or I hate you because you did this. It was like, I love you because you're sick and you're a child of God, too. And I was like, Dad, I just want to apologize for cutting you out of my life for so long. It's a pattern I do in relationships. How can I make it up to you? And he was like, I'd like to have a relationship with you. And I was like, well, we can start with a phone relationship. And he's like, oh, you call people? And I was like, yeah, I call people. And um, he's like, then I'll start calling you. And I was like, well, you know, it doesn't have to be a one-way street. I can call you too. And I talk to my dad once a week now, you know, and that's my living amends. And the same type of thing with my mom and my sister. Like, I met my mom in St. Patrick's Cathedral on Christmas Eve. And I just, you know, said, Mom, I never acknowledged all the great things you did for me. And she burst into tears on the pew, and she was just like, I'm so proud of you. And my sister, same thing. Like, we were walking around Columbus Circle Christmas Eve, and I was just like, you know, I never acknowledged all the great things you did for me, and I wasn't there for you as a younger brother. All I thought about was how you weren't there for me. And she raised her hands in the sky, and she was like, is this my amends? And I was like, yeah, can you let me finish? And I finished, and, you know, I celebrated the holidays with my mom and my sister that night, and I was cleaning up the dishes, and I overheard my sister tell my mom that amends from David was the best gift I ever could have gotten. And my mom said, yeah, me too. And, like, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what it is. And, um, you know, so I went to... Israel the next day just to talk about 10, 11, and 12 and it was this it was a 12 step trip with 30 other people in recovery and I was like oh I have recovery now like everybody's going to love me it's going to be a great trip I just made these amends and um, I get to the airport and I was there like 10 minutes late and everybody else was already talking and I called up my sponsor and I was like I'm going to spend the next few weeks in New York because I'm not going on this trip and he said something like, David, you're in your ego, and hung up. And that's like, <laughs> pretty much my calls, my, my only sponsor. No, I'm just kidding. He's amazing. Um, so I went into the bathroom, and I just got down on my knees, and I was like, God, can you protect me from my mind? Because my mind is telling me I'm not good enough. My mind is telling me these, these AA people don't want to talk to me. My mind is telling me, you know, that I'm that same five-year-old fat kid on the playground that people threw pebbles at. So can you show me that I'm okay today, God? And when I go to God like this with my heart and with, like, the language of my heart and with my pain and with my words and, like, not program prayers for me, like, I got to talk to God with my heart. And when I go to God like this, I feel okay and I feel strength and I feel like I can do anything. And I went back out and it stopped being about, like, who's coming up to be. It was about, like, who can I make feel comfortable And that's what steps 10, 11, and 12 do for me. It's like recognizing where am I in my disease, going to a higher power, and then getting out of self and being of service. And that gets me out of my disease in the day that I'm in. And uh, just to talk about steps 12, you know, there's a lot of different service you can do. When I came into the rooms, it was just, you know, setting up chairs every every meeting at at those 8,000 sunset meetings. And then, you know, where I'm at today, it's like, You know, I sponsor a lot of people, I speak all over the place, whatever, you know, but my sponsor says, you know, that's bullshit. You know, it doesn't matter. My sponsor speaks all over the world. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. What really matters is am I practicing the principles in all my affairs? You know, am I living with rigorously honest, rigorously honest, like, principles? And, um, you know, step 12 is also about the joy of living. You know, it says that in the AA 12 and 12. The theme is the joy of freaking living. And I spent all of my life hating myself and wanting to kill myself and not living. 
and like I get to have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps and like now I get to go and have fun and be the kid that I never was and like show sponsees that recovery can be fucking fun like it's so much fun it's an experience like God is in everything or he's in nothing so I'm going to choose that he's in everything and God is good so everything is good like everything is good today everything is good and just to talk about my life where I am today man um you know, so I was in Israel, and everybody was having these spiritual experiences, and we'd meet after, at the end of every night, and talk about the spiritual experiences that everybody was having, and I wasn't having them. So I was judging myself and judging everybody else, and it finally hit me that, like, nothing outside of me, it doesn't matter where I am, nothing outside of me is going to give me the experience that I can get in my heart when I just go to God. And, um, you know, it was Friday night services at the Western Wall, and I did, something got me down on my knees. Like, these were Jews. They weren't praying on their knees. And I got down on my knees, and I was just like, God, if you want me to be alone for the rest of my life, if you want me to abandon myself to you completely as I understand you, at 25 years old, you can have me, dude. Like, I'm yours. And for the first time in my life, like, I felt a real surrender. And, like, I was always looking for somebody or something or a piece of food or a drink or a drug or a girl or a text message or a job to make me feel like I was okay. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I didn't need anything. Like, I had God and I was going to be okay. And I came back to L.A. and I graduated grad school with a 4.0 from UCLA. And, um... Sorry, that was ego. But <laughs> the thing is, like, that's God. And so it's not ego, because ego is edging God out. And it's so clear to me that God is running the show in every single area of my life. Because I am such a hot mess. Even today, if I don't have God in my life, like, my sponsees, some of them are like, dude, you're so spiritual. You have what I, you, like, I want what you have. And it's like, no, I'm just crazy. Because if I'm not connecting with God in the moment that I'm in, like, I will hurt you. I will take you down. I will rip out your soul with words and make you never want to talk to me again. And that's why I need to be connecting to the power that's greater than me in the moment that I'm in. And um, back to where my life is like today. So I graduated grad school and I was applying for all these jobs and nothing was coming through. And I applied for like 30 jobs in my industry and I was like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, work at a rehab. And like the rehab wouldn't even hire me. And... um, my sponsor kept saying, like, just put program first, you know. Mm-hmm. Brought me to the, the chapter in the big book where Dr. Bob tells his sponsor, like, you know, when your own house is in order, Providence is going to provide. And, you know, just keep doing your contacts and, you know, keep praying to God and keep your house in order and Providence is going to provide. And the day after I graduated, a job was offered to me, like, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And that job led to a better job. And it's like everything I've ever wanted is coming true. And it's not like I'm, I'm digging and searching and scratching for it anymore. I'm just being of service in the day that I'm in. Like, that's really all I'm doing. I'm just putting in the footwork and being of service and putting my program first. And um, I kind of highlighted a little bit, but, like, I'm dating, which when people talked about dating when I came into the rooms, I was like, you are not as much of a compulsive overeater as I was because if you're considering dating like I didn't know how to have conversations with people when I came into the rooms I couldn't have one conversation with anyone the fact that like three and a half years later I'm dating someone and like she's walking this path of life and like I have a God and she is a God and we have our relationship has its own God 
and like we pray to that God together to like come into all of our affairs and help us put service first and take us out of our egos so that we can love each other like dude what a good life like what a good life like where is this coming from you know that's not me I'm just a freaking addict that wants to be alone and like give me some food so I can hurt myself and hate myself and want to kill myself like it's so clear to me today that there's a power greater than me running the show and I'm so grateful so grateful but it really is a daily reprieve it's like such a daily reprieve and for me it's not even daily it's like a moment by moment by moment by moment by moment thing and if I'm not connecting with a power that's greater than me like in this moment like right now then I'm not abstinent and that's how I look at my recovery and some people think it's hardcore but like dude if I'm not connecting to God in this moment I'm not abstinent and that means that like I have to put my connection with a higher power first. Sometimes I can't listen to music. Sometimes I can't go to Facebook. Sometimes I can't go to movies. Sometimes, like, if someone has bad energy and they're, like, in my office, I'll need to, like, go the other way because, like, I can't. I'm way too sensitive. You know, my connection has to come first. And the more I, I put my connection first, you know, the more my life keeps getting better and better. And it's like, dude, I have two and a half years. I'm a newcomer. I'm a baby. Like, this is just beginning. This is, like, this is infinite. This is infinite. Recovery is infinite. So thank you for letting me be of service. I'll say one more thing. There's a spiritual teacher that I love, and he says, you know, if, if there's only one prayer that you say for the rest of your life, and it's thank you, that would be, that would be sufficient. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for saving my life. Mm-hmm.